I'm kicking off this new series today called Bold Men, and this is really a new era for men's ministry at Generation Church. We've got probably the, I would say definitely, the strongest women's ministry in the entire state of Arizona. I'm allowed to be proud of it, okay? I'm, not, I'm just proud of it. Uh, it's called Beautiful Girl, and now we're kicking off Bold Men. Uh, as I get into this series, let me just remind you that this Wednesday night at 7 p.m., we have a guy's night. We have a men's night for all the men, uh, and I want to invite you to come out to that, men. It's at 7 p.m. It's going to be about once a month, so make this a part of your routine. There's going to be some teaching focused towards leadership, uh, how to be a godly man, husband, father. It's going to be really helpful for you. There will be a lot of time to talk uh, with other guys around the table and process together. Uh, you're going to be able to form relationships, and we need that to be effective as men. Iron sharpens iron. Okay, so we want uh, to encourage you to be at that, and it's going to be really helpful for you, and it's really important for our church because the world needs bold men, and our church needs bold men. You know that God designed men to lead. So wives need to be led by their husbands. Kids need to be led by their fathers. Churches need to be led by men. When bold men go missing in action, wives and kids don't flourish, and churches aren't fruitful. So men, your family, your church, your friends, your community, we need you to be the man that God made you to be. And I believe with God's help, you can do it. You can be that man. Well, what makes a man? People ask that. What makes a man a man? And they're not just asking biologically about Y chromosomes. I think they're usually asking behaviorally. What does a man do? Here's what I think a man does. A man takes responsibility and does what's right. That's what men do. They take responsibility and they do what's right. That's the biggest behavioral difference between boys and men. Boys do what feels good. Boys blame others for their problems. Boys make messes and expect their moms to clean up after them. And a lot of guys keep that mindset even after they grow past puberty. They make messes and then they vote for socialists to clean up after them. I'm going to say lots of stuff in this series. You just wait. Men only make up half the population, but because God gave us a special responsibility, our actions have a disproportionate impact for better or worse. So here are some often shared statistics. Throw these statistics up. This is the impact on the family when the following people come to Christ first. If a wife comes to Christ first, if kids come to Christ first, these are the odds that the rest of the family will come to Christ. But when dad comes to Christ first, is a 94% chance that the rest of the family will come to Christ. No surprise, because God established men as the head of their households. Men are leaders, and as the man goes, so goes the family. That's the thing. If you want to change the world, you got to change a country. If you want to change a country, you have to change a state. If you want to change a state, you have to change a city. And if you want to change a city, you have to change the neighborhood. If you want to change the neighborhood, you got to change families. And if you want to change families, you've got to change men. We've got to reach men. It all comes down to men. So the title of this message, week one here, is Made for More. Men, you are made for more, but the struggle is real. <laughs> and before we can talk about how to act like a man, I think we need to hear about the origin of man. Any superhero fans, right? You can't appreciate Captain America until you understand Steve Rogers, right? 
Uh, you won't appreciate Spider-Man or Batman until you understand Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne. And in, under, in order to understand what manhood looks like biblically, I think you have to understand who you were made by and what you were made for. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to hang out there, and we'll skip over to Genesis 3 in a little bit. But starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. That's the triune Godhead talking to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why he says our, our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Next week, I'm going to talk about that male and female thing. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So I want to highlight first three aspects of your design, uh, men. Here's three aspects of your design. The first is this, God made man very good. God made all creation, the animals, the stars, the sun, the sky, the water, uh, the fields, the mountains. And he said, meh, it's good. But then he made mankind and he said, that's very good. It's very good. You are fearfully and wonderfully made as the pinnacle of God's creation. Uh, it's good to be a man. Now, we know what God says. God said it's good. But the devil's a liar, and he's very clever, and so all of his lies are intentional. His lies echo throughout the world, whereas God said it's very good to be a man. It's very good that we were created the way we were. The devil says men are very bad. It's hard to be a man today, uh, especially because the world hates manhood. It shames men just for being men. Like, oh, you're a man? That's bad. Oh, you're, you're a strong, confident, ambitious man? That's very bad. You need to go through re-education camp. Some of you, your whole life, you've had people declaring negative things over you, that you were a troublemaker, an accident, you'll never be good enough, uh, that, you're, that you're a problem kid, uh, that you're stupid. Maybe you believed them, and maybe you even tried to live up to what they said about you. And then if that wasn't bad enough, the world wants you to feel bad just for being a man and acting like one. No wonder you see guys who won't speak up. They won't stand up. And when they do, it's soft and effeminate and apologetic. And we see men throughout our culture who dress like women. And they act like women. And what happens, the world suffers for it. So I want to say something real quick to the women in the room. If you've ever been hurt or abused by a man who used his strength for evil, that's wrong. That's wrong. But the answer to that is not to make men weak. It's that men need to submit their strength to the strength of God. Okay? The world rightly identifies that there are problems with strong men who use their power to do evil. But the world can't come up with a good solution. The world wants to destroy men, but God wants to redeem men. So what we see is that strong men aren't the problem. Strong, godly men are the solution to the problem. God created men to be masculine and said, it's very good. So men, you were not a mistake. You were made on purpose for a purpose. And then here's the second thing I want to highlight. Mankind is a reflection of God. 
We, we have a two-year-old, me and Amy, and it's fun with a two-year-old. You get a lot of variety throughout the day. Oftentimes in the morning when she wakes up, we've got a princess on our hands, but then by the evening when she's ready to go to bed, we've got a terrorist on our hands. And it's funny how whenever she's being real feisty, Amy says, she's just like her dad. But then when she's being a little princess, Amy, I, I really think she takes after me, Amy says. Isn't it funny how much kids take after their parents and just reflect the nature of their parents? It's kind of a law of, a universe, of the universe that creation reflects the attributes of the creator. So a song or a book will reflect the nature of the author. A building will demonstrate and reflect the preferences of an architect. And because you were made by God, you reflect his nature. you got to be clear on this, where you came from. God said this in verse 27, Let us make mankind in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. So he didn't make you a God, but he made you like God. He made you like God in the sense that you reflect his attributes and his nature. And understanding your origins will continuously impact your decisions. No wonder the devil comes along and lies to you about where you came from. The devil's deception is that man evolved from goo by accident and descended from apes. No wonder the world likes this lie. Because if they had to acknowledge that we were created by God, they'd also have to acknowledge the authority and power of God. So they don't want to do that. They'd rather live in a fantasy world, believing that we came from goo rather than God. It's a lie. It started with Darwin, and the theory of evolution is a lie from the pit of hell. It's also the root cause of most of the racism that has existed in the world. It has led to massive human suffering and genocide because people believed this idea, well, we're a superior race to these other races it's not wrong that we hurt them and abuse them. You see how Satan's lie hurts so many people? We know that we are all created in God's image as mankind. We have God's nature. We reflect his, his likeness. And we have value because of that. But Satan is clever. He lies about your origins like this because once you know who you come from, you automatically know who to act like. Think about this, right? If you believe you came from beasts, you will be content to act like a beast. That's why you see guys just go through life eating, sleeping, pooping, and fornicating whenever they want, wherever they want, with whoever they want. Because, hey, after all, we're all just animals. When you play stupid monkey games, you get stupid monkey prizes. And let's be honest, a lot of guys like, man, life is hard, but it's because we make a lot of bad choices. But there's another way. Once you realize you were made in God's image and likeness, you can start to reflect his nature. And God is awesome. Reflecting his nature is amazing. God is a protector and provider, a redeemer and a builder. He's gentle and he's strong. He's loving and he's dangerous. He brings help to the helpless and justice to the evil. God's joyful and he's generous. He's patient and he's active. He's creative and careful. He's slow to anger but quick to forgive. He's affectionate and he's effective. He's a mighty warrior and he's a loving father and every good thing comes from God. What's amazing is the more you act like him, the better everything gets around you. That's why we want to act like him. 
and understand that we come from him. Here's the third thing. Man was made to rule. When I was a little boy in New Jersey, we played this game called King of the Mountain. The snow plows would come by to clear the roads after a blizzard, and there would be these huge piles of snow on the corner. So all the boys would come out uh, afterwards, and we start climbing up these piles of snow. I mean, they were high. And then we would just unapologetically and mercilessly throw each other off the mountain to claim the title, King of the Mountain. I mean, people got hurt, but it was a blast. And the world would look at that and see, men are violent. But no, we're conquerors. And we were made to rule by God. The world sees men as oppressors, but God hardwired us to rule as leaders. In verse 26, it says, let us make mankind in our image and likeness so that they may rule. And we see it's over the fish, the birds, livestock, all creation. God made creation for the benefit of mankind And he gave it to us to use for good. I'm about to shed some light on a lie that our culture spreads. Okay, we're supposed to steward creation as we care for it. But the devil comes along and lies and says, we're not over creation. Creation is higher than man. That's why we see pagan religions for thousands of years, all the way to Native Americans today, and environmentalists who worship creation rather than the creator. They worship the stars and the moon and the sun and the river and the whale and the coyote and the eagle. They've exchanged Father God for Mother Earth. Mother Earth can't do anything for you. Father God loves you. You get people today, that's why they they pray. Instead of praying, they, they try to manifest. They get the universe to just manifest what they want. It doesn't work, does it? Instead of reading the Bible, they're just speaking their own truth. Instead of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, they're trying to get good vibes and energy from crystals. And God looks at that and he's like, what? God's like, what are you doing? I established you to rule over creation, not to worship creation. He gave you the oceans to swim in and fish from, not to worship and worry about. God said, I gave you these animals to to use and to eat and maybe the ones that don't taste good to play fetch with. (laughs) But it goes all the way back to Old Testament times when you saw pagan religions bowing down to idols made out of wood and stone and worshiping images of creation instead of creator. We were created, man, to rule over creation, to fill the earth and subdue it. And God spells out what ruling should look like in verse 28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. it. Rule, rule over creation. Blessing, the word blessing, it says he blessed them. Uh, In the original Hebrew language, it communicates the idea of bestowing life-giving power. So God bestowed life-giving power on them. Think about that. He breathed life into the dust and formed us, and then he gave us the power to create life ourselves. You see that? We're made in his image and likeness. He created us to do the kinds of things he does. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Let's get real for a second. That requires having sex. If you brought your kids in here today, that's on you. You see, men get a real bad rap just for liking sex. Like, all men care about is sex. That's not true. We also care about tacos. (laughs) But sex is up there. 
And God designed it so a man and a woman would get married and enjoy sex and want sex and hopefully have sex often. I know some guy came to church today for the first time and he's like, amen, this is my church. This is, we're home. Welcome home. My pastor. (laughs) This is how God designed us to fill the earth and multiply and create little Adam and Eves uh, to go and spread ourselves throughout the world. He told us we should do it this way. Fill the earth, multiply. Fill the earth and multiply. It's really interesting when you see the kinds of movies that come out of Hollywood, the media today, that spread this environmentalist message that mankind is overcrowding the earth. You constantly see that, the plot of movies. They're always trying to push this message that we're, we're overpopulating, we're using up the earth, we're raping the planet. It's a reflection of this belief that creation is more important than man. Right? When, when Hollywood talks about overpopulation, it's usually a part of their justification to kill 60 million babies a year in the womb. Oh, we're just helping to, to stop overpopulation. Right? But, but God told us to fill the earth, and he wouldn't have told us to fill this planet if the planet couldn't sustain it. We, we, we're just simple people who trust God's design, that he knew what he was doing when he created the world and told us to multiply and fill it. And then God said to subdue creation. And what does that look like, subdue creation? Uh, subdue, the definition of subdue is to conquer and bring into subjection, to bring under control, especially by an exertion of the will. So God told Adam and Eve to conquer the world to subdue creation, to bring chaos under control. This is why, guys, you just naturally like to conquer stuff, whether it's in a boardroom or playing paintball or playing Call of Duty, or sometimes it comes out sideways in war, but men are created to be conquerors. The world says, you know, men are violent, but we were created to conquer, and we like to build stuff. It's just who who we are. God designed us to build whether it's a house or a civilization or a birdhouse, we just like to bring order from chaos and organize things into efficient systems. God designed us to do it that way. It's how he made us, to multiply, fill the earth, and subdue. Now, I want to point something out, a little uh, side content, a little bonus content real quick for the singles. Where are the singles at uh, in the room? Um, I'm trying to help you out right now. You should be like, yeah, here I am. We're- Where else are they, right? Okay, so here's how God designed this, okay? God made Adam for relationship. Then he gave Adam a job. And then he gave Adam a wife. That's the order it's supposed to happen in. God designed Adam for relationship. Then he gave him a job to do. And then he gave him a wife to love. And within the context of marriage... God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, to be blunt, to enjoy sex. A lot of people get this backwards, right? They first swipe right and start having sex. Then they start living together. Then maybe they get married. Then they get jobs. Uh, And then once the crap has hit the fan, they come to church hoping God will clean the mess up. It's a lot easier to just do it God's way the first time. And maybe you haven't done it right up until this point, but the time to do it right is now. 
There's no time like right now to start doing things God's way. So, hey, if you're a single lady, that's what you need to look for, a guy who's got God and a job. And if he doesn't have those things, you don't want to hitch your wagon to that pony because he's going nowhere fast. So quick recap, quick recap. God blessed Adam and Eve. Uh, He told them to have sex, make babies, conquer the world, and build a civilization where they could enjoy God's love and the majesty of creation. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. That sounds like a great setup. It sounds like God knew what he was doing. So what went wrong? Here's what went wrong. Here's the highlights. Satan lies, man sins, creation's cursed, and we struggle. That's what happened. And let's talk about it. This is why life is hard. This is why we struggle to get ahead. That's why you deal with pain and sickness and division and disappointment. Because Satan lied, man sinned. Creation was cursed, and here we are struggling. Genesis 3.1 talks about this. Read this with me. This is a really interesting passage of Scripture. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Okay, so we're going to explain this and talk about it a little bit. devil's a liar, and uh, he's evil, but we got to acknowledge that he's clever. He's good at twisting God's words, and you see... Uh, amazing example of it in this passage. Sometimes he twists God's word and he lies blatantly and sometimes subtly with half-truths. That's why, friends, you have to know God's word yourself. If you don't know God's word, you will fall for the devil's lies. You can't just rely on a pastor to know God's word for you. You've got to know God's word. God told them that they could eat from all the fruit of all the trees in the garden, except just this one tree. Just this one tree. And I think about how good that would have been. Right? Think about God made this garden where, where just amazing food grew on these trees. You didn't have to cook. You didn't have to plow a field and grow crops. You could just walk up to a tree, pluck off amazing, delicious fruit, and be refreshed anytime. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I just imagine sometimes there were also probably trees that grew leaves of pizza. <laughs> and maybe even trees where you could just walk up and like pluck off a cheeseburger. Because God is good, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And here's God just saying like, hey, there's just one, one tree. One tree I don't want you to touch. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes along and he twists God's word and he, he deceives Eve into believing that God was trying to withhold something good from her. When in reality, God was trying to protect her from something bad. God didn't want her to have knowledge of evil. You see how he was trying to protect her? 
But Satan lies and he twists the truth. And he said, did God really say you're not supposed to eat of any of the trees? And she corrected him. She said, no, no, God said just this one tree. If I eat from this one tree, I'll die. And she was clear about what God had said. And the devil's like, no, he won't die. And it says, she was convinced. Like, oh, that makes sense. We're so susceptible to the lies of the devil if we don't guard our hearts and fill our hearts with the truth of God's word. The devil still does this today. God has given you so many good things to enjoy in this life. Ice cream, steak, puppies, football, all these amazing things. But there's just some things. God says don't do these things. We call them sin a lot of times. We say sin is bad. It's wrong. But it's not just wrong because God said so. It's also wrong because it hurts you. And that's why God tells us not to sin, not to withhold good things from you, but to protect you from bad things that will hurt you. But here's the devil. He comes along and he twists the truth and he wants you to doubt God's goodness. So so think about this example. This example. God says he created sex for a husband and a wife to enjoy in marriage. And he says, outside of that context, don't have sex. And the devil twists the truth and he says, God just doesn't want you to know how good it is. And that's not the reality. God wants to protect you from getting hurt because when you have sex outside of his context, it might feel good for a minute, but then it's gonna hurt you in the long run, right? And the devil wants to twist it and he wants you to believe, no, you're missing out. You're missing out. And, and oftentimes, you know, we just believe him like, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go for it. And we end up hurt. So listen, I'm going to teach you a lot of things in this series. But right off the bat, if you only take one thing away from this series, no listening to snakes. <laughs> I went to seminary to study that. <laughs> Don't take advice from talking snakes. Amen. I mean, that should have been your first sign. This is a bad idea. Look at this, verse 6. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. I don't even know what was going through his head in this moment. Right? What, what was he thinking? Just standing. He was not off working like maybe you thought he was. He was not off naming animals still or building a tree fort. That's what I would have been doing. He was standing right there by his wife, watching this all go down. And what's going through his head? I don't know. Maybe it was like, man, my wife's good looking. I like what God did there. Is that a snake talking to my wife? What are they talking about? Hmm. I don't know, but she looks good talking to that snake. <laughs> or, or maybe, I think it was probably more like this. I bet Adam was listening to all this go down, and he thought, Actually, I've been wondering, too, what would happen if we ate that fruit. And I was scared to do it myself. But if my wife did it, I could blame it on her if it doesn't go well. And after all, who am I to tell her what to do? She's a strong, independent woman. You know what they say. Happy wife, happy life. He watched while his wife was deceived by this snake. You see, you need to see this. The original sin of man was being passive. The original sin of man was being passive. 
The responsibility for sin does not fall on the woman's shoulders for listening to this snake. It falls on the man who stood by passively as his wife was deceived. It was his job to protect her and to lead her, but he stood by and did nothing as evil worked its way into the situation. A lot of men worry about doing the wrong things, but your greatest struggle will be with the temptation to do nothing. And this has been our greatest struggle ever since. Not lust of the eyes, not losing our temper, but a lack of leadership. That's why one of the most common questions I get from, from frustrated wives is this. They ask, Pastor, how can I get my husband to lead our family? And I have to always tell them, sadly, you can't. You might try encouraging him when he does, but you cannot make him lead your family. Even if you could somehow do something to get him to lead your family, you'd still be the one pulling the strings and leading the family. And you wouldn't be satisfied. A man has to experience personal conviction that it's his God-given duty to lead his family and take action. I would say most of our nation's problems stem from passive men failing to lead with godly strength. This is why you have churches in America that were struggling and dying for decades but filled with flowers and pink carpet and purple pews. Because men weren't leading in these churches, so women stepped up to do what men weren't doing. This is why you see a lot of families that struggle today, because the husband and father will not lead the family in putting God first. The husband should say, we will go to church. You don't have to drag me to church. I'm going to lead our family to church. The husband should say, we will tithe. It's my job to provide, but I know the best way to provide for my family is to ensure God's blessing is on our finances, and God only blesses our finances when we put him first in our finances. A husband says, I'm responsible to discipline our children and make the tough decisions. I'm not going to leave that to my wife as I rest in my lazy boy and veg out. You see what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam didn't lead his family, so Satan did it for him. And he's still hoping that, man, you'll just sit back and watch as he works his way into your home and wreaks havoc even today. But we're not going to do that. It's going to continue on that way until you stand up and say, no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because men take responsibility and do what's right. So men, we're not going to blame our dads, our bosses, or the government for our problems. We're not going to just do what feels good or what comes easiest. We're not going to leave the tough decisions to our wives and sit back and watch what happens. We are called to act like men. And if you've ever thought, hey, that sounds good, I'm down for that, but why is it so hard? It, it, it's hard to be a bold man of God. You're not wrong. It is hard. Yeah. It, the struggle is real. Yeah. And the, it's real because of the effects of sin and the curse of sin. In Genesis 3, we see that God curses the serpent and he talks to Adam and Eve about the repercussions of the curse of sin. To Eve, he says, you'll have pain in childbirth and you'll desire for your husband, but he will rule over you. And then to Adam, he says in verse 17, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And your, all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. 
It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Uh, By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. In other words, it's going to be hard to provide until you die, until you return to the ground from which you were made. So here's what you see. You see Satan lies, man sins, creation's cursed, and we struggle. Men, you need to, to know that the source of all of our problems today, pain, disappointment, frustration, and death, all of these problems originated with rebellion against God. You need to know where, where it started so that you can fix it and address it. And so it affected everything. Rather than building in paradise, we have today to labor among the thorns and plow the earth just to eke out enough to provide for our families and make ends meet. Rather than just being free to fill the earth and subdue it, we have to fight against nature and struggle on the earth. Rather than living forever with God, man was destined to die apart from God. Our relationship with God was damaged. Our relationship with creation was damaged. And man, our relationship with women was damaged there in the garden. Theologians debate about how exactly we inherited our sinful nature from Adam, but you could debate all day. The bottom line is that we did. We did. So a lot of guys will say, it's not fair, man, because I wasn't there in the garden. I didn't eat the fruit. (laughs) You weren't there. But the truth is we're all just as guilty. Because we share in Adam's rebellion through our own sinful choices. All of us have broken God's laws. We've all rejected his commands. We've done wrong things by commission. And we fail to do the right things by sins of omission. Every single one of us is guilty of sin. Uh, But the good news is that that's not the end of the story, is it? You got to know the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. Come on, right? I want to point this out, something that you'll notice if you read this passage carefully. After man and woman sinned, God showed up and he cursed the serpent. He also cursed creation. He talked about thorns and thistles and said the ground will be cursed because of you. But watch, he never directly cursed man or woman. Why is that? It's because he knew the serpent was destined for the lake of fire. And he knew that the ground, the earth, it was destined to be destroyed by fire and recreated again, new heaven and new earth. But he did not intend to destroy man. He intended to redeem man, right? And so he didn't curse man. He didn't curse woman because we know that Jesus was planning to come and become the curse for us. It says in Galatians 3.13, he became a curse on the cross for our sins. So we can go free and be redeemed because of what Jesus has done. The first man failed, but thank God for a better man, Jesus, who came. And he made things right. It says in Romans 5, I love this passage. It talks about the difference between Adam and Jesus. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person, Adam, disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, Jesus, obeyed God, 
many will be made righteous. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? We now have the ultimate example of a godly man in Jesus Christ. Remember we said this? Men take responsibility and do what's right. Look at what Jesus did. Adam, the first man, he made a mess of things. Then Jesus came as the God man. He didn't make the mess, but he took responsibility to make it right. Whereas through Adam, you inherited a, a sinful nature and a propensity to sin. But through Jesus, you inherit the power to do what's right. Through Adam, we were separated from God. But through Jesus, we're restored to God. Through Adam, we experience death. But through Jesus, we receive eternal life and victory. And Jesus doesn't just save us from the curse, but he restores us to our purpose, which is pretty amazing. Remember in Genesis verse, uh, 1 verse 28, it said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Do you realize that Jesus, he redeemed us to our original purpose? And it looks a little different, but it's actually even greater, the mission that he's called us to. God blessed them, right? He gave them life-giving power. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Whereas Jesus, he comes with an even greater blessing, Grace upon grace. He gives us life-giving power. He raises us from death to life and fills us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we're able to be fruitful by being faithful. We're able to multiply by making disciples. We're now called to fill the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity as Christians to subdue this world as we conquer evil with good and we bring peace to the chaos of sin. We do this for the glory of Jesus' name. God's good. We're going to have fun in this series. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And maybe you're here today, man, woman, boy, or girl, and in your heart you know that you have been separated from God by sin. And as we talk about making mistakes and coming up short and struggling, maybe the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you right now that that's you, that you're a sinner who needs a savior. And, and I hope you realize this today, that without Jesus, you'll never find peace. Without Jesus, you'll never find satisfaction. And some of you have tried. You've tried all the things the world has to offer, drugs, sex, alcohol, power, success. You've tried all of that and you found that the more you uh, achieve, the emptier you feel. The more you try, the more dissatisfied you are. That's because nothing can satisfy you but Jesus. Nothing can fill the void in your soul but Jesus. And you will not experience lasting joy until you accept him into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. Jesus isn't just a good man, he's the God man. And he came to make right our own mess. And, and so yeah, we've all sinned. I've sinned, you have, and we're guilty of sin. But that's why Jesus died on a cross. He went to the cross to die the death that we deserved. He paid the price that we could not pay. He did it so that we could be forgiven and free. Free and restored in relationship to God. And he didn't just stay dead, but he rose again. 
and gives us victory and eternal life. So maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I need to pray that prayer. I want to accept Jesus into my life. I want to lead you in this moment. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not magic. It's just to help you express what's in your heart. And maybe you've never prayed this before. You've never accepted Jesus before. Or maybe you had some kind of background in church a long time ago. Something happened, but it hasn't been real for you. It hasn't affected your life. Maybe you need to pray this again and mean it for the first time. And it's not going to change your life until you pray it and mean it. So this could be your moment. Pray this with me if you're ready, wherever you're at. Just say, God, I need you to save me. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I can be forgiven. I believe Jesus rose again so that I could have eternal life. Lord, I ask you to lead me for the rest of my days, and I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray.